Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together how to live as Christians in the age of fulfillment. So last week we talked about death, death in the fictional family that we created, the death of loved ones, the death of believers and non-believers alike in this age of fulfillment. That's all couched in this. And it was an important show because from it we can finally begin to talk about living now. Um as Christians in the spirit and in truth. Everything up to this point so far since we embarked on this has been about the material approach to living the Christian faith in the age of fulfillment. You know, getting married and sex and and homosexuality and marriage, weddings and having children and adopting and adultery and divorce, all that stuff. We've talked about jobs. Um, We've covered all of it. Because a lot of people are trying to understand what it means to look, what it means to be a Christian in an age. If Jesus has come and now we're in that fulfillment age, when now you live as a Christian, but you're not anticipating him coming back uh, to take his church or to rapture us or any of that stuff. I want to reiterate that heart of the matter, and I've said this before, um, is a program for seekers. It's a program for seekers of God in Christ by the spirit and in truth. The show is aimed at sons and daughters of God who have an eternal view of existence. The long view, not a religious view, not not religious, not a material view, but a spiritual view that is supported by seeking for truth and in spirit. And so I applaud each and every one of you who've been willing to join with us to hear these views and these opinions expressed uh, reasonably and by the Spirit, and to hold fast to what is good and for trying to walk the faith which is uh, created in faith and love um, and for the living. Bob Dylan wrote a song uh, years ago, and in in the song he said the line, if you're not being born, you're dying. If you're not being born, you're dying. Very few words from a secular artist ring more true than these when it comes to living as sons and daughters in this age of fulfillment. And I want to talk about this for a minute, and I'm going to talk about the enemies to being born constantly, daily, being born, and the friends, the supporters of dying uh, in the faith today. There are... um, Enemies to being born, and they are the friends of death, and, and, and to spiritual death and to Christian death. And we'll get to those in a second. See, if we cling to the false notion that Jesus is still coming back to take his church, that's the, the false notion. That church must, according to the scripture, be pure without spot or blemish. Then we must also cling to the ideas that the apostles reiterated in the New Testament, and, and we must cling to them tightly. Because of this mindset, many religious people pride themselves in religiously adhering to traditions and religious views and never deviating from them. And they think that this approach to being a Christian is courageous and and valuable and honorable before God. Like God is super pleased with a little boy who embraces Mormonism or Catholicism or Pentecostalism or any of the isms or is, 
And when he's five, he embraces it. And he stays true to that his whole life until the day he dies. Why, God is just proud of him because he never deviated from the things he learned when he was a child. Think about it. Think about this. The Mormons never change anything about what their founder instituted. Um, the Catholics regale themselves in rituals and tradition. Orthodoxy in all of its forms rigidly walk about in robes of antiquity and claim they still practice the faith of the ancient fathers. And Protestantism looks to its ancient paths, no pun intended, and like they are God himself. We star, you know, I remember Gordon B. Hinckley of the Mormon church saying, the North Star, focus on the North Star, never deviate from your course. Baloney is, you know, it's not true. And you got to think about this. All of these are contrary to one, what the scripture makes plain, two, to the ways of the spirit, which go wherever it goes and wants and leads however it wants. And just plain old common sense when you're talking or we're talking about growth and maturation, especially in the spirit, right? This says, how satisfied are you with using your touchscreen? <laughs> in other words, to stand on what has always been and follow religious traditions and models set by people hundreds and even thousand plus years ago is synonymous with death. It is a death knell. And because nobody is being born into new insights, into new growth, into new knowledge, and, uh, or new paths or new directions uh, or new directives by the Holy Spirit. Ironically, though, as it is in the resurrection, it is the very death of things that often will lead to you being born again and new daily. It's the death of many things. You have to die to something first before you can go on and be born into a new tradition and maturation as a son or daughter of God. It's in the dying of things where life begins. That's what the, Jesus talked about the resurrection. I have to die, be buried. A, a, a wheat of corn has to die and be buried before it can bring up and give new life. And this is something religious traditionalists rarely experience. They might grow in their own little potted plant of, 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 of orthodoxy or whatever ism they are, and they might grow upward in that, but their roots never take them beyond the confines of that religious tradition. In my life, this experience of dying to false tradition began in, in a very literal way. Many of you know that I was born again spiritually in a roadside experience in 1997. And God moved in and he took a place in my heart by his spirit and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That was the beginning, that roadside experience. But looking back, my dying to the traditions of my former faith over the four years I remained in it thereafter to Mormonism actually was uh, promoted and enhanced 
um, by um, four sequential events, actual death events, physical death events that took place in my material life. And those actual physical deaths helped me to put to death the traditions and the rites and the rituals that I was still clinging to. And, it, and that had to happen before I could begin to embrace new life. During those four years as a member after I was born again, I taught LDS Sunday school and we were having a class and we learned that one of the kids that were in the group had broken his wrist and was in the hospital. And a group of other young men in the ward came up to me and they said, hey, come with us. We're going to go to the hospital and visit him. And this was during the priesthood hour. And they asked if I wanted to go. I think they wanted me to go so that they could have some kind of uh, authority with them so that they wouldn't get in super bad trouble. So I offered to drive. And one of the kids said, no, I want to drive. And so I said, fine. So I got in his car and sat in his passenger seat. And the other guys were in the back. And uh, the kid's name was Scotty. He's a big football player and really fun to be around. And he was playing different music for me. And I was saying, oh, that's crap. Or this is good. Or I like that. And we were laughing and joking all the way back and all the way there and all the way back. And when we got back to the church, uh, the young men's president uh, was in the parking lot and he cornered me and asked me why I'd taken them out from priesthood meeting. And um, uh, he tried to, uh, you know, make me feel guilty. So uh, anyway, um, the next week, uh, the boy who drove the car, Scotty, he uh, felt faint on the football practice field and he fell over on the field and died. And um, an LDS man who was present tried to revive him through his power of the Holy Melchizedek Priesthood by calling it out over his body in front of all the players. It didn't work. Uh, he died as an LDS active Latter-day Saint teenager. And uh, it was a loss, a great loss to the community, of course, to his family. And everybody who knew him, our family was really devastated when we got the call that night that he had died. So, um, but it got me thinking. It made me wonder, what's gone on? I had been born again, but I, haven't, I hadn't left the confines of Mormonism. And I started thinking, that kid was LDS. I mean, I was just with him and he died. Where is he? What's he doing? What mattered what matters now in his existence, now that he's gone? The second death was that of a longtime family friend, 26 years. He was in our ward, and I had known him for all that time, and he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of brain cancer. And we watched him deteriorate, and we lost it, watched him lose function. And I was able to kiss his forehead goodbye uh, the day he died. And after doing that and saying my goodbyes, I took his 10-year-old son, and we went back to our house, and he was friends with my daughters and we went and ate and did some other fun things. And even though the boy knew that his dad was uh, uh, in the last stages of death, he seemed to be pretty good during that time. He wasn't worried about it. And his mother called me and said, will you, will you tell him that his dad has passed away? And uh, so I took him in the back room and uh, I sat him down and I just said, you know, I just want you to know that your, your dad has, has passed. And through his tears and his sobs, his only response was, already? Already? And uh, having been born again, 
I had to ask myself again in the face of this guy's passing, what did all his priesthood meetings mean? What do those garments he was wearing mean? What, what did the temple rites mean? What did any of this mean relative to the kind of man he was, his love and his faith in Jesus Christ? What doctrinal perspectives really mattered if he believed in polygamy or disagreed with it? What did it even matter? And these traditions started to break away the chains that were around me, started to fall off from these deaths. The third death, which was the hardest for me to personally understand or overcome, uh, was, uh, uh, and was fur it, it helped to further entrench me into be writing Born Again Mormon and to step further away from uh, what the traditions of my youth taught me and to embrace spiritual authenticity uh, was the unexpected passing of my older brother. And uh, he was blessed intellectually and he was a very good businessman and he was financially set and secure and uh, dedicated to his family. He taught early morning seminary, seven or eight years, new, doc new doctrine and uh, church history really, really well. And even though he paid his tithing, he attended his meetings, uh, he didn't believe an ounce of it. He didn't, he was one of these people who goes, but he didn't believe any of it. And uh, he had studied uh, himself and, and he told me so. I knew this well before he passed. And in his passing, I could clearly see that it was his authentic heart toward what was good and right, uh, toward Jesus, toward love that mattered. And everything the religion made so important in his life and then in my life and in our family's life and the things that the leaders would come down on you for and all of that shit, it didn't mean anything. It was ridiculous. And that really helped sever the chains of a lot of uh, my, uh, of the traditions that I wondered about, wasn't sure about after having been uh, born again. And um, the final passing was that of my father-in-law who uh, the night before he died, he was sitting in his chair and he said, Sean, will you give me a, a, a blanket? I'm cold. To be honest with you, I was a little bit annoyed. It wasn't a cold day. And I was like, you're cold? I was impatient in my mind. I said, okay, just a second. And I got him a blanket and gave it to him. And the next day I went to work and in the morning I got a call and he was dead. You know, that was the fourth death in a row of someone that I knew. I hadn't experienced that much death in my life. And where did he go? What was his state? He was a good guy, but he had his faults. You know, what mattered then? So all of those deaths individually helped me begin to live and to fall once and for all into the grave that was dug for my former man at my rebirth in the roadside, and then to rise up to new authentic life in Christ and to allow the, the, the death of those others, the actual material, physical death of these people I knew and loved propelled me to say, maybe I should be putting to death some of the things about my life that don't matter anymore that was made evident by their own passing. So this is the key to the Christian walk in the day and age of fulfillment, being born, constantly being born to new life and to new information. Because if you're not being born, like, like Dylan says, rising every day to new life, to new levels of faith and love, if you're not morphing in your views that you once held as a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 20-year-old, if you're not growing in those, if you're not moving away from the fundamentals 
building upon them, but moving away from them and embracing more information by the spirit, you're dying. You're dying. And I agree with Dylan in that. So many enemies are out there to this growth, to keeping you dead. There are so many enemies. And I want to introduce a couple of the major ones to you right now. Understand that the underlying obstacles that come with these enemies are the obstacles of fear and shame and guilt and pride and laziness. But all of those things are brought into play by our association with these enemies to spiritual maturation. And the first one might bother some of you, but the first one is our parents. Of course, we've all had parental influence of some sort um, that help us walk the path that we're on, usually in some way or another. And in some cases, the force of our parents, because we grew up and under them, they have a great deal of sway on how to choose to believe and live and what to do when confronted with new ideas that, conf that conflict against what our parents have always believed and taught. Some parents shut anything new down that their child mentions, and some parents, pr parents will promote anything on earth um, that a child might desire. But the bottom line remains, parental influence over people is huge and powerful for some. And until a person is willing to leave what mommy and daddy say and have done and taught, they will probably, probably be forever stalled in their growth uh, with God and Christ. And the next one is close to that, and that's friends or the community, including siblings. And as we get older, most of us aren't too swayed by our friends. Uh, but in some cultures, in some communities here in Utah, community and friends and, and siblings they have a huge impact on what people will continue to believe and, and, and accept. And it goes kind of the old saying that says, in order to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back on the crowd. And, and really, if you want to lead in a spiritual uh, life and draw closer to God in spirit and truth, you have to be willing to turn your back on the crowd and to lead all those uh, parts of your uh, psyche and soul in the orchestra to bring together a collective tune of beauty. You've got to turn your back on the audience. You can't care what their facial expressions are or their applause means. And, and it's really important. Truth is not uh, the popular opinion of the world. Truth is not dictated by popular consensus. It's, that's, we, we learned that from Jesus' life. So you'll never find his truth being received by the most. It isn't there, and it has never worked that way, ever. And so it gets difficult having communities who reject us, and uh, the masses just don't want to hear it, and your friends don't want their lives uprooted. So friends and siblings and community can cause a lot of pressure on people to not be willing to rise up uh, from the grave and live a spiritual life. Where falsehoods travel the path of least resistance, truth faces the most falsehoods who was it oh who said that uh, i can't remember um i thought it might be winston churchill who said 
the truth can't even get its pants on before a lie makes its uh, way halfway across the world. So understand the lies in this place, they thrive and people want those. But the truth is often rejected by the people you love and care about most. The next enemy is lifestyle and comfortability. And for many people, as Jesus clearly points out, growing in faith and love and knowledge of him is just not attractive enough to get people to leave the comforts, the creature comforts of their own existence. And this has been the reality since the nation of Israel said to Moses, we want to go back to bondage with the cucumbers and the leeks. We don't like it out here in this barren, hard desert, right? So when placing comforts on a scale against the discomforts of change, which is central and essential to personal spiritual growth, comfort almost always weighs more. Okay, I can be comfortable, I can be content and it, it, on the scale, or I can go for truth in, in the spirit and walking with Christ. Boom, comfort weighs more, right? So this is the difference because laziness, indifference to eternal things, just the love of the things of this world take precedence in our flesh. And so uh, uh, we cling to our lifestyles and our creature comforts because we're afraid of change and we're afraid of letting them go. And so there, it's an easy enemy to spiritual maturation and growth. Another one, which a lot of people aren't going to agree with, we're gonna talk more about this, is a great enemy to spiritual truth and growth are doctrines and dogmas and religious traditions. They absolutely quench the spirit. They crush the spirit. Um, when it comes to spiritual growth, this one is really huge. We grow up believing that a baptism is necessary and it must be performed by a priest. And our friends in the community are all baptized by priests. And in, the priest says that people must be baptized by priests. And so it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength to go against mom and dad and to go against community and to go against our creature comforts and say, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that. I don't think that's what the scripture says. So I'm not going to follow it. And uh, really tough to do, especially when the community and family are behind it. These attitudes are essential, though, to spiritual maturation. They really are. And here's the deal. When we resist established doctrines and traditions, it has to come by and through a knowledge of the scripture by the Holy Spirit and not just rebelliousness. I don't have any respect for someone who says, <laughs> I went against our, uh, our bishop who said I had to be baptized just because I thought, I'm just going to make your life miserable. I, there's no purpose in that. But if someone says, I just didn't think that they had a priesthood authority based on what Hebrews says, and I, I, I just humbly said to them, Bishop, I can't be baptized with that way. It doesn't make sense to me. I, you get a lot of respect for that. So spiritual maturation is based on being able to take the tradition and test it and say, this is what has always been said, but the spirit and the word and those combined tells me no. And there's a number of things on that table that fit that category. So, I mean, you look at orthodoxy and their incense burning and you look at their praying to Mary. I mean, you read the spirit, you read the word, you have the spirit. No, it's simple. No, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
But to admit that to a group of Orthodox uh, believers, very painful, you get ostracized, but that's what spiritual growth and maturation means. So the result of all that means work and it means labor. It means you got to dig into the word. I'm preaching to the choir because if you're listening to this show, you are someone who is willing to put your ears and eyes and heart to work and to test things. You are, certainly aren't watching this because uh, you know, you're learning how to get fit uh, physically or recipes for Thanksgiving. You're watching this show because hopefully it's speaking to your desire for truth and it takes work. So we can see that laziness and comforts and wanting to be popular with mom and dad and family and friends and community are continue to be enemies against that. And you know, sons and daughters will be unpopular. They'll choose that route. There is also an enemy called the unwarranted fear of God. Because of our upbringing and our religious training, many people are afraid that rocking the boat is going to anger God. And they assume that God would be angry at them and at their seeking, you know, and, and the religion makes you feel that. You've been a Catholic your whole life. And when you turn 19, you start to go against it. Oh, you know, God is not happy with you. That's the first thing all the religions do. They make the people feel guilty for looking outside the box. Uh, this is the product of bad instruction and therefore has to be seen as an obstacle and an enemy to growth. God loves, he loves, desires for his creations to seek him, to test all things. He really wants that. And I'm not, I'm not speaking for God. That's what scripture says. He says, come, let us reason together. We're made in his image. Reason with him. There's a, there's a thing within Christian community. The reason of man is so bad. Scripture tells us to come and reason with him. We see that all the biblical characters reasoned as they worked their salvation out with fear and trembling, knowing that it was Christ in them that, that brought it about. Quite frankly, he does seem to be angered by people who are moved to inaction and fear. That, that there's parables that we just talked about those in our study, that there's parables where God is not happy with people who are afraid to take action and afraid to move into the unknown. That's called faithlessness. So really clinging to traditions or clinging to the idea that God is gonna be mad at you if you question and test and challenge and wonder, uh, that's faithlessness. I think a faithful person would do it and no God would uh, respect it. Uh, don't fear investigation and challenge the status quo, swim upstream, be mindful of what goes on with the things that go with the flow. Look at what they are. They're dead. I'm sure there's some fish that swim with the stream, but usually sw fish swim against the grain. They go against the grain against the, the, because that's where it's in the struggle that life is. Indifference is another one. And out of all the enemies of spiritual maturation, indifference seems to be the most common in the human experience. The reality is most people just don't give a damn about what God is about. Sons and daughters do. Most people, not. I mean, they'll attend church, they'll get involved. They won't attend church, they won't get involved. Everybody's on that continuum somewhere. But most people in the end aren't that concerned with the afterlife. They assign it to whatever happens, happens, right? So if you're one of them, you're watching the wrong show. Uh, many people tune in 
quite frankly, to be entertained, but you've got to know that that's not the priority here. It's to encourage believers and seekers and sons and daughters through reasonable insights and information to die to the things that hold you back, the enemies of spiritual maturation, and to press forward, usually alone, into the void, knowing that God is there to catch you. Indifference is sort of like lukewarm water. You know, we have a problem here in our studio, and that is the heater element. It cooks me, and five feet away, people are freezing. And so there's a constant battle between us about whether to turn that heater element on or to leave it off. And you can guess what side we're all on. But at least they're freezing and I'm boiling. That's what scripture says. God wants you to be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, he'll spit you out of his mouth. And, and so indifference is, a, is another word for lukewarm. Cold water will refresh you. Hot water will sanitize things. But lukewarm water is a place for germs to grow. And so you don't want to be lukewarm in your faith. Be hot or be cold, you know, one way or the other. But sons and daughters of God are hot for God in Christ. It's their daily bread. And indifference is such a huge enemy. But the hotness must be genuine. And the result of it must be love for God and man. The hotness cannot be feigned. What in the heck? It's just gone. Oh, there we go. Uh, it can't be feigned. It's got to be from the heart. Uh, or else it leads to the next topic, and that's religious hypocrisy, which is a great enemy. Look at, there's no way to genuinely grow uh, with God and Christ if you're a hypocrite. Y you can't believe one thing and say another thing. It was the hypocrites Jesus seemed to hate the most. All of chapter 23 in Matthew is him railing on the hypocrites. I mean, eight times he says, Pharisees, scribes, hypocrites eight times in one chapter he hated religious hypocrisy and so the solution is to be true to be authentic say what you mean mean what you say only submit to what you believe and test and challenge all the rest do not subscribe to something that is given to you don't feign belief if you don't believe it be genuine if you can't be genuine uh before god who can you be genuine before so if you're a seeker of truth, if you're a son or daughter of God, or if you're someone who's just wondering, go to God and be honest. I like eating pigeon poop dressed in a diaper. If that's what your gig is, tell God, be authentic. Don't try to feign anything with him and try not to feign within reason with your friends and family and, and neighbors, etc because it's just religious hypocrisy and it's an enemy to the truth. Uh, case in point, my view of the Trinity, which we're gonna happen to talk about next week. Uh, could, it, could the Trinity doctrine be correct? Perhaps, perhaps. Could it be partially wrong? Perhaps. Do I believe or understand it? I do not. Uh, and so I refuse to say I do. I'm not gonna say I agree with it. And I'm not gonna say I think it's biblical. So I don't. And you know, you get all kinds of hell for that, but I would rather be honest before men and God than to say, yeah, push the Trinity out and not really understand it and therefore not really believe it. So religious leaders want feigning. They want hypocrisy from you. They would prefer that you go along with what is 
then you stand up and challenge it with honesty. Because when you stand up and challenge things with honesty, they are threatened. And, but God is not threatened ever. And so if you want to know him best, get real with God. Do not let hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy especially, get in between you and him because it's a death knell. Two more. Of course, arrogance and pride goes without saying, but you have to choose to humble yourself as a son and daughter. If you get yourself proud before men and God, you're in trouble and you will not grow spiritually. And so in all things, and if you fail, humble yourself. This is the spirit moving in sons and daughters. The antithesis to the humble heart, which the Lord loves is hubris, pride, arrogance. It's a giant enemy to spiritual maturation. So children of the living God are naturally humble because they understand, and I say naturally, I mean it comes to them quickly because they understand who they are before God. That's that authenticity again. And when they understand that, they're like, okay, I'm not gonna fool around. Pigeon poop and diapers, that's embarrassing. He's the living God, help me, Lord. That's humble, that's contrite. And so choose it, choose humility in every area of your life. It is a choice. And then finally, the last enemy to spiritual maturation I'll mention tonight, and it's probably encompasses all of them, and that's selfishness. And it goes without saying, because in our flesh, uh, we are based in self-centeredness. And this is the real battle between God and humankind. Our will, our ways, our self over his. That's it. And it's at this point, if a person chooses his ways, his spirit over the ways of their parents and their friends and their community, their doctrine, their traditions, and all the rest, you will begin to mature in the faith and you will begin to understand and know him better. And we're going to continue to talk about these principles now. We've covered, I, I really had a hard time getting through all the material ones. I didn't like that at all. It's boring to me. But I did it because we want to see what the spectrum looks like. Okay, so these are some of the essentials about living in the material life as a Christian now in the age of fulfillment. But what does it look like as a Christian in the spirit realm? And what does it mean when you're walking in the faith, but you're having the the religion around you disagree. You're having people you know and love disagree. You're seeing things and understanding things differently than they do. What do you do? We're gonna be talking about that, walking in daily life every day and not dying. So if you like what we've heard, comment on it, make a, a, a note. You can send us an email if you don't wanna make a public comment, but we use those to help facilitate conversation on our Tuesday night show. So write your comments below and join us tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter as we discuss them.